This podcast and others are brought to you by everythingvoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. If you'd like to kick back a small commission from every Amazon purchase you make at no extra cost to you, please use and bookmark our special link at AmazonEVC.com. That's AmazonEVC.com. Hello, welcome to the podcast. It's, well, look at that. It's February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. You may be wondering why I'm not recording as often as I did for almost the entirety of 2020. I think I got started actually in the spring. And I recorded an episode between this podcast and Thinking and Doing just about every day. At first, I was releasing sometimes twice a day. I was, you know, I'd get to the end of the week when I copy my uh, episode or my new, I copy my new content into sort of a bibliography, audiography spreadsheet I maintain. And sometimes, some weeks I would have nine new entries. Because I'd have an everything voluntary every day, and then sometimes I'd have a, a thinking and doing a couple of times a week as well. And then I switched to doing two everything voluntaries, one thinking and doing, and going like that. And so my volume dropped a bit. And now, I don't know, I just, I don't feel like I need to sit in front of my microphone and unload <laughs> as much as I did before. Maybe because I, I did it so much, I've really sort of drained myself in a sense. So, you know, I'm just not feeling the need to turn this on and and to to speak. I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing. It's probably a mix. It means less content for I hope you to enjoy. But it also means I don't really feel like I need to do it. Not because... the not because the world doesn't need it anymore, but because I don't need it anymore. And that could change. I'll, I'll try to get something every week, but I'm not beating myself up, right? I'm not feeling bad about the decline. It just is what it is. Now, if you want to help me, then go to Everything Voluntary on the right side, click Schedule a Chat, and schedule a chat with me. If I have people, if I'm chatting with people several times a week, then those podcasts are released right away. But as far as sitting down and, and doing these solo episodes, which is most of what I do, right now the volume is lower. And I'll just continue doing what I've always done. When I feel like I need to unload, I, I pull up my list of you know where I uh, source content from and I'll find something interesting. Or if there's something on my mind, I'll riff on that like I did in the last episode. That's just how I do it here. So, you know, if you want to come have a chat with me, which I would love to do, um, and Alex Knight, who schedules monthly, he'll be back in a few days. And if you want to come chat with me regularly, I'd like that. So just go schedule. Everythingvoluntary.com, right-hand side, there's a link. Schedule a chat. 
So in this episode, um, the Foundation for Economic Education released this uh, essay, uh, John Miltymore, who's a pretty frequent frequent writer over there. Uh, this was released last June, um, but for some reason it just barely came to my attention. It's called 21 Nonconformity Quotes to Help You Resist the Crowd. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to read through these, and if I have something to add, I'll add it. So here we go. Here's the first one. This is by author Rudyard Kipling from 1935. The individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. If you try it, you will be lonely often and sometimes frightened. But no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning yourself. There's a lot of really good reasons to go with the tribe and there's sometimes really bad reasons to go with the tribe, right? We are tribal creatures. It's what we are. For most of our ancestral history, conforming to the tribe was an imperative on our survival. So it's no surprise that this tribal mentality is as deep as our genetics. There's no surprise there. But we're also really intelligent people. We're also thinking people. And we can we can think about what it is we're doing when we are going along and why it is we're going along. And what he's talking about here is owning yourself, owning your mind, owning your thoughts, owning what you do. Okay, you're 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 responsible for the choices you make. And if you choose to conform and go along with the crowd, that might be fine. But just understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Okay, here's the next one. This is by John F. Kennedy from 1961. He said, conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. It's always interesting when somebody who was involved in politics all the way to the point of being the commander-in-chief of the United States military and the president of the United States speaks in this way. It always seems like a contradiction to their actions. Who knows? All right, here's the next one. This is by Jimi Hendrix. It doesn't say when he said it, just that he lived 1942 to 1970. He said, I don't give a damn what others say. It's okay to color outside the lines. And that's that's really putting this succinctly, I think. It's okay to color outside the lines. It's okay to color outside the lines, or it should be okay to color outside the lines. Now, the part, I don't give a damn what others say, well, I like to think that I feel the same way, and most of the time I do, but sometimes what other people say can have serious uh, implications on your life. So sometimes you should care. Wisdom is understanding when, when that's true and when that's not. All right, the next one is by Ralph Waldo Emerson from 1841. It is easy in the world to live after the world's opinion. It is easy in solitude after our own. But the great man is who is he who in the midst of the crowd keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude. I like that. It brings to mind you're standing in a crowd and the crowd is getting riled up about something. But rather than be swayed, be caught up in it, You take the stoic approach, and you think, and you observe, and then you choose, and you decide, am I going to become part of this mass, either angry or happy, and do what they're doing, right? You think about, you actually think about what's happening. You think about 
the likely consequences of your participation in it, and then you and then you make your choice, right? Just like we do when we're alone, right? We think about what we're doing and the consequences and this and that. So you don't allow yourself to be pulled in by the fervor and the emotion and the sentiment and the excitement, and instead you you consider. I like that. All right, the next one is from Russell Brand from 2008. I like this swinging back and forth through the centuries. He wrote, Rebel, children, I urge you, fight the turgid slick of conformity with which they seek to smother your glory. I like that. I like that. I I like the call for adolescents to rebel. What are they what are they rebelling against? They're rebelling against control and co- coercion and conformity. The three C's. There we go. Control, coercion, and conformity. Something that they've probably experienced their entire lives. Very few adolescents have had much control over their own lives. Their parents make decisions for them. Teachers make decisions for them. Adults make decisions for them. Bureaucrats, politicians. Most children don't have autonomy. Some children do. Some children are privileged in that way. And I say a, I say privileged, which is kind of, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, double speak or something. Because, right, to, to be left alone, to be treated with respect, to be treated as a human being, to be left to your own devices free from control and coercion and conformity from others shouldn't be a privilege, right? I can, you know, for the most part, my children are privileged in that way, but it sh- I shouldn't be calling it priv- a privilege. That's kind of crazy, right? They they should be at liberty to to have their own autonomy, right? And I have chosen to respect that, but that's for me to choose, right? As the adult in the room, as their parent, there are other people who don't want me to have that choice. They want to take that choice from me and assume it themselves. They want to coerce me to coerce my kids to go to school and to to learn the things they decide they should learn at every you know age. But I'm in a place where I'm not being coerced to do that. Is that a privilege? Am I privileged that I live in Utah where we don't have to do testing and compulsory education and reporting and curriculums and blah, blah, blah? Is it a privilege to live here? No, it's my goddamn liberty or my right, if you will, if you prefer that language, to not coerce my kids, to raise them how I see fit. And how I see fit is how they see fit. So the fact that I think of that as a privilege is a real travesty. It's a real travesty. So rebel, children, I urge you, fight the turgid slick of conformity with which they seek to smother your glory. My, uh, my son is 15. He just got hired for his first job. He has a girlfriend who's 16 that he met on the internet. She lives in Canada. And she's quitting school. And he's never been in school. <laughs> so I don't know if he in- inspired her. He wasn't trying to influence that. He's, he's not really an activist or anything in that way right now. But maybe she was already thinking about it because school was not a compatible environment for her, as it isn't for most kids. But she's always been in school. She's 16. She's done the whole gamut, right? And it's all been online for her. 
which has been more onerous than usual for a lot of people. And I guess now she's, I don't know, maybe she meets my son and thinks, this guy seems pretty normal to me. And he's never, he's never been to school other than preschool in a week of kindergarten. My son is a kindergarten dropout, if you will. And maybe that helps her pull the trigger. Great. Good for her. All right, here's the next one. This is from Graham Green. Again, it doesn't say when it's from, only that he lived from 1904 to 1991. He wrote, heresy is another word for freedom of thought. Heresy is another word for freedom of thought. There's not a lot of talk these days about religious heresy, at least not in the Judeo, Judeo-Christian world, Western civilization. Of course there is, I'm sure, in, in Muslim countries. But there is not only Muslim countries, but communist countries. Political heresy, that's very big right now when you think of places like China, North Korea, Russia. And the other would be uh, woke heresy, right? You say things that are contrary or antithetical to the, the woke religion. That's a form of heresy. And if you're somebody who they consider to be allies initially, and then you commit this woke heresy, and you say something like, maybe trans women shouldn't be competing in sports with biological women because of the unfair advantage, well, now you're a heretic. You're a woke heretic. But that's just another word for freedom of thought. So wear, maybe, maybe wear the badge proudly. Yeah, I'm a heretic. I'm committing heresy. Be proud of that. Okay, the next one is from Tolkien from 1954. Not all those who wander are lost. Not all those who wander are lost. Don't assume that just because somebody is uh, maybe scratching at the walls of allowable opinion, <laughs> scratching at the walls of wokeness or scratching at the walls of uh, liberalism or conservatism or whatever it is, it doesn't mean that they're lost, right? Or, you know, Catholicism or Mormonism or Islamism or whatever. Just because they're wandering at the edge, maybe, you know, scratching it a bit, don't assume that they're lost and that you need to save them and pull them back in lest they become a heretic. <laughs> uh, the next one is another Ralph Waldo Emerson from 1841. For nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure. Well, that's true. If you're going to nonconform, if you're going to be a heretic, if you're going to be a free thinker, you're probably going to get whipped at some point. So be mindful of that, right? Be cognizant. Know that that's a possibility. And, and do what you can to maybe set yourself up to soften that blow, right? There's a lot of people these days who are getting in trouble and, and the, you know, the cancel crowd, the cancel brigade comes, comes through town. And these people just like, whenever somebody messes up and the cancel crowd gets really loud, it's like, what do they want to happen? They want people to be fired. They want people to be deplatformed. They want people to be uh, financially and economically ostracized. They, 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 it seems to me like what they want is to expand the homeless population. That, that really seems like that's what they want, right? Typically, it's like homelessness is a problem. We need to reduce the homeless population. We need to fix this societal problem. If it's a problem, let's be, uh, 
careful about what we define here or what we identify here. But typically it's like homelessness, you know, this is the, the general idea. Homelessness is a problem. We need to we need to reduce it. But then here comes the cancel crowd that really wants to increase homelessness because that's what they want. They want people fired. They want them kicked out of their apartments, right? Deplatformed literally and to never be hired or dealt with again. And if if that happens, then where does that leave you? It leaves you on the street without a job, penniless, right? Because they also want your bank to cut ties with you and blah, blah, blah. They want you canceled. They want you homeless is what it comes down to. So it's an interesting little paradox, right? Supposedly, they're so concerned about the homeless that I guess they're trying to make more of them. Okay, the next one doesn't have a date. Uh, Dr. Robert Anthony. I don't know who this is. He wrote The Ultimate Secret to Total Self-Confidence, I guess. Probably something recent. It says, the opposite of bravery is not cowardice, but conformity. The opposite of bravery is not cowardice, but conformity. Well, I mean, I guess that what that really probably means is that conformity can be in, in you know, I don't want to say for the most part, but for many reasons, conformity is a type of cowardice. But I get it. Right. Sometimes you conform to keep yourself alive, to keep your family safe. I get that. Right. It's self-defensive conformity. I'm not going to call that cowardice, but that also means we probably shouldn't call it bravery. Okay. Here's the next one. This is from Mark Twain from 1904. That's interesting. When I think of Mark Twain, I don't think of him living past 1900, but I guess he did. When did Mark Twain die? All right. I got to look that up now. I shouldn't say Mark Twain. That was a pen name. I should say Samuel Langhorn Clemens. Oh, 1910. Wow. 85. So 1910. Wow. He lived a decade into the 20th century. I don't, I don't think of the 20th century as having included Sam Clemens, but it did. Great. Where to go? Okay, here it is. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to reform or at least pause and reflect. That's a, that's a good, that's good advice. That's really good advice. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause, think about it, right? Because what do we know about people? Wizard's first rule. If you remember way back when I did the wizard's rules, what was wizard's first rule? I don't know if I still agree with this, or at least maybe not in the same way that I did. But what is wizard's first rule? People are stupid. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to, to, to stop and think. If people are stupid, then the majority's position on something is probably walking that line, that stupid line. Maybe it hasn't quite crossed over, but it's close and it probably will at some point. So whenever you feel like, yeah, this is what I think and I think I think like everybody else thinks about this. Wait a minute. (laughs) Maybe I've misstepped. Maybe I've made a mistake here. Let's get back to first principles. Let's get back to basics. Let's rethink this. I like that. Good advice. Okay. We're halfway through here about. Stick with me. (laughs) This is from uh, Adlai Stevenson from 1954. Ooh, this is good. All progress has resulted from people who took unpopular positions. I've said something like this before, and it wasn't an original thought, so I'm not going to claim that. But I talked about this, I think recently, maybe in the last couple of months. How is scientific progress made? It's not made through scientific consensus. It's not made through settled science, 
right? The majority, the crowd, the scientific crowd says the science is settled on this. But there's always those rebels. There's always those heretics, those people who are not satisfied with the so-called settled science. And they continue to scratch at the boundary of what is settled science. And they make a breakthrough. And then everybody else catches up. But in the meantime, they have a tough go at it, right? In the meantime, doing what they're doing by not conforming to settled science makes them an an intellectual scientific outlaw of a sort, right? It makes them a rebel. It makes them a heretic. But when the science is settled, there's there's nothing changing. There's no progress being made. But then these people do this, right? And it's so obvious that a breakthrough has been made that everybody else is forced to accept it, right? And what is, right? And everything, uh, it's like when you have a, a bowl of sand or something and you, you, you throw this, you know, you start to shake it up and it gets really dusty. So now the science is no longer settled. And then after, after a while, it, you know, you stop shaking the bowl, it settles again, or so they claim. And then there's those heretics, those rebels, those outlaws, those renegades, who do what they do and disrupt. And I think if you look back at progress, scientific progress, technological progress, I don't know, ethical progress, whatever, where does it come from? Is it coming from the center, right? The people who are settled? Is it coming from the orthodoxy? Is it coming from dogma? No, it's coming from the fringes. I like that. All right, here's the next one from Rosie DeMano, born 1956. It doesn't have a date. She's a Canadian journalist, I guess. Go your own way, question everything, accept nothing, accept no dogma, no can't. There are too many people walking around thinking they're scared, they're sacred cows, and they're only half right. <laughs> I like that. Let me add my two cents. There is nothing that is sacred. There are no sacred cows. There are only cows. And some cows are meant to be slaughtered and eaten. <laughs> Right, that, That's their whole purpose for existing, is why they were bred. Maybe all sacred cows are meant to be slaughtered and eaten. Extract the good, leave out the bad. Digest it. <laughs> uh, I won't continue that metaphor. Um, go your own way, question everything, accept nothing, accept no dogma, no can't. There are too many people walking around thinking they're sacred cows and they're only half right. This is, a, this is another indicator. Whenever somebody is saying that some topic, some some claim is untouchable, that that probably means it's a sacred cow and it should be deconstructed if we want to get out, you know, the good, you know, separate the good from the bad in there. It might be a long-standing sacred cow for good reason. Probably not, but maybe. I have sacred cows. I can admit that. We should all admit that we probably all have sacred cows. Sacred cow for me is peaceful parenting is superior to punitive parenting. That's a sacred cow for me. Uh, Also, the voluntary principle, I guess, is a a sacred cow for me, right? Which is is basically just, just placing the concept of consent pretty high up on my list of uh, values and preferences and priorities. Consent. That's what the voluntary principle is. All human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. Excuse me, I knocked my microphone stand. That's a sacred cow for me. Um, I re-examine it from time to time, 
and it has kept its place as a sacred cow. Maybe that's not true for you, but that's okay. Whatever I have is my sacred cows, you know, do what you must. Deconstruct it, think about it, and then you'll either feel good about it or you'll feel like you've slaughtered it and you'll feel good about that. Fine. All right, let's keep going. Here's the next one from Rita Mae Brown. It doesn't have a day, just that she was born in 1944. She said, I think the reward for conformity is that everyone likes you except yourself. Now, if you're um, accepting and going along with the crowd because you truly believe in what's happening, then you, you know, you are thinking for yourself and it just, you know, that's happened to brought you along with a lot of other people. Good. You've, you've done your due diligence. That's good. But I think a lot of people probably go along with the crowd. They conform, not because they've truly thought about it, but because they, they don't want to be left behind. They don't want to be kicked out. They don't want to be ostracized or divorced from, from their group. And it, it's probably not like, you know, that probably doesn't create those feelings of being proud of yourself. It's probably like I'm going along because of maybe some exterior benefits of that, but I don't, I don't like where this is headed. So maybe, you know, the conformity is, is, um, everybody else is pleased with you, but you're not really pleased with yourself. That can be tough. That can be a tough situation to be in. It may take some bravery at some point to escape that. And that can be hard. All right, here's the next one from Henry David Thoreau from the 19th century. Every generation laughs at the old fashions, but follows religiously the new. It's funny how this this was said so long ago. Every generation laughs at the old fashions, but follows religiously the new. And conversely, every generation believes the next generation is doing it all wrong and has no respect for them. Uh, yada, yada, yada. It's funny how every, every generation, you know, says something like the youth of today are so misguided, blah, blah, blah. And there's quotes going back to Aristotle saying exactly the same thing. The youth today are worse in some way. I've written about that. All right. We've got a few more. The next one, this is by Eric Hoffer, who was a philosopher, I guess, died in 1983. It is the individual only who is timeless. Societies, cultures, and civilizations, past and present, are often incomprehensible to outsiders, but the individual's hungers, anxieties, dreams, and preoccupations have remained unchanged through the millennia. I like that. I like that a lot. What he's saying here, how I interpret this, is that we're no different than people in the past. We're the same animal as our parents' generation, our grandparents' our great-grandparents, their great-great-grandparents, their great-great-great-great-grandparents for thousands and thousands of years. We're the same animal. We're the same being. We have the same needs. We have the same wants. The difference is our environment, and the difference is how we're treated. Okay, If you're treated like shit by your parents, you're going to have different needs and desires and wants because of your, I should say, handicap and your trauma that results from that is going to significantly alter your future. And then those who do not suffer those things are going to have a different time. And if you take the same person and you traumatize them, they grow up, they'll be somebody. Maybe they'll maintain their humanity, but often they don't. And then you take that same person, you reset the clock, and you do it again better. 
you're going to have a, a different outcome. Okay. You're going to have, you're going to have somebody who doesn't, who, who doesn't have that, those scars, I guess we'll say those un, um, those unearned scars that other people inflicted on them because they're working out their own demons still. But that's, that's going a bit micro with this, right? Let's go back to macro. I know he's talking about the individual and he's talking about societies and cultures and civilizations and that's kind of macro, right? But environments change and we really have, you know, other than moving ourselves when our immediate environment is, is incompatible with our, our values and our preferences, I don't have any control about the large, uh, I don't have any control over the larger environment. This is just the time and the place in which I was born. Obviously, I could move to, Somalia and totally change my environment. But 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 where the environment is today, my environment, I should say, was totally out of my control. It just happened over centuries and millennia and whatever. And so I, I'm, a, I'm a human animal and I find myself here and I cope and I adapt and I grow. But you replace me with any other human and it, it's gonna it's gonna be the same. So there you there's a uniqueness about each of us, but there's also not. <laughs> So it's easy to think that that we're better than people used to be. And in ways we are, but in other ways we aren't. So let's, again, take the good and separate it from the bad. And let's learn wisdom and, you know, let's do what we can to find our personal peace of mind and contentment. Okay, here's the next one. This is by Salman Salman Rushdie. Perhaps if one wishes to remain an individual in the midst of the teeming multitudes, one must make oneself grotesque. Okay, now that's kind of interesting. Sometimes the best way out is to get yourself kicked out. Sometimes that's just what you need to turn your life into something better. There's this guy, I just I just recently heard of him. His his current name is Jack Murphy. He's got a he's got a podcast called Jack Murphy Live. He was chatting with somebody on another podcast. That's when I was introduced to him and I thought this guy's kind of interesting, so I subscribed to his podcast. And he's got this um, organization called the Liminal Order, which is kind of a, a fraternal organization to help men be men, I guess. I haven't really looked into it. And he goes by Jack Murphy, but his name before was something like John Goldman, I think. And John Goldman pissed off the woke crowd and he was canceled. He lost everything. He was deplatformed, everything. But you know what he does today as Jack Murphy with his his current success that he 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 started from scratch to build he thanks them right he didn't do that on purpose but he thanks them for canceling him because it led to where he is today which is in a much better happier um place than he was he kind of accidentally became grotesque to them like this guy writes he was kicked out and now he's come back as something else an interesting story, I thought. Okay, the next one, Johann Sebastian Bach, the composer, the musician. If I decide to be an idiot, then I'll be an idiot on my own accord. <laughs> I decide when I am an idiot, not you. <laughs> All right, the next one by uh, James Baldwin, an author. It is very nearly impossible to become an uneducated person in a country so distrustful of the independent mind. It is very nearly impossible to become an educated person in a country so distrustful of the independent mind. That's interesting. I'll have to think about that one. All right, the next one, I got three more. The next one is Voltaire. 
Our wretched species is so made that those who walk on the well-trodden path always throw stones at those who are showing a new road. Sorry, I thought that might have said a sewing. (laughs) I had to stop myself. Showing a new road. Our wretched species is so made that those who walk on the well-trodden path always throw stones at those who are showing a new road. Right? The heretics, the renegades. We throw stones at them. Rather than just talking to them and trying to understand them and listening to them, we throw stones. And why do we throw stones? Because we're protecting our sacred cows. We don't want them to be killed. We don't want them to be destroyed. We have to protect them. So we throw stones at the heretics and the renegades who are trying to, probably not trying to, but it just so happens that what they're doing is threatening toward our sacred cows. So we perceive them as a threat and we throw stones. It's understandable, but it's probably inexcusable, right? Because your sacred cows don't really deserve to just exist, right? Maybe you should help them examine them, right? Have the debate. See if what you believe in can stand up to that test. Not for their benefit, not for the world's benefit, for your benefit. Test your own ideas so that you know that you are not in error. Why wouldn't you want to do that? I know it's uncomfortable. I know it can be costly. I know it can be a a hassle. It can be a pain in the neck. I get it. But at the end of the day, you'll probably be better off. So maybe they're doing you a favor by showing you that maybe what you believe in, your sacred cows, are not all that you think that they are. And it's an opportunity for you. This is an opportunity for you to re-examine them. And maybe they'll exist after, but maybe not. That's bravery, right? That's bravery. Through through your own discomfort, right, the mental anguish that can ensue, the existential crises that often happen as a result of, of this sort of questioning, you will come out of it, I think, better. I always have. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes it's frustrating. But at the end of the day, I'm glad I, I did it. So remember that. All right, two more. This is from Claire Lehman, founding editor of Quillette, which is one of those heretical, heterodox type (laughs) places, publishing places, content producer. Only a very small number of people are truly evil, but a very large number of people are conformists. To prevent evil on a mass scale, it's more important for us to ward against our own instinct to conform with the crowd than it is to worry about anything else. All right, that's interesting, and I take her point. I must object to her first claim that small number of people are truly evil. I don't believe that anybody is evil. I believe that people do evil, but they are not themselves evil. They are, they are in fact, broken individuals. They are first victims, and then they become monsters. Something to keep in mind. That doesn't mean that we should not, I guess, for all intents and purposes, view them as evil, right? But I think I think it's more accurate to view their actions as wrong, as bad, as misguided, as hurtful, as whatever, rather than them as as demons, right? As irreconcilable, as irredeemable, as forever uh, the monsters that they currently look like. I don't want to believe that about anybody, but I take her point. It's a good point, right? Most people are just conforming to their groups, right? There's the loud people, the activists the true believers, 
the cultists. <laughs> and then there's just everybody who's going along because they don't want any trouble. All right. The last one, Robert Frost. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. This is a selfish way, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I don't mean that in a judgmental sense. This is a selfish way, or I should say self-interested way, to look at conformity. Maybe not conforming at the end of the day will be better for you. Maybe taking the path less traveled, like Mr. Frost wrote, will make a bigger difference in your life, and that will be a positive difference. So think about that. There's many reasons to nonconform, and sometimes there's good reasons to conform. I get that. But maybe nonconforming is, is the direction to go because at the end of the day, it will be more personally profitable for you. Should be thought about. All right, we reached the end. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, I'll link to this, of course, and then all of these quotes, you know, they link to the people and whatever source they can. Um, a lot of Google Books, links, wiki quotes, Amazon, all that kind of stuff. Those were interesting. I'm glad I read through those. And I'm glad I read through those here so that I could read it and then I could think out loud about it. And I hope it was beneficial to you. I hope you got something from this. All right, that's going to do it. Please remember, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. And don't ask permission. Thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe to Voluntarist Voices, a podcast featuring lectures, interviews, and audio essays by intellectual giants, past and present. You can rate and review this podcast in your podcast app, and please share it with everyone you know. Please consider supporting this podcast in everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EVC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. voluntary.